This is an emergency transmission from TB Cream. Hello, I'm Jack and this is TV Cream Stays Indoors. In this podcast, I send someone a link to an old radio show and then once they've listened to it, call them up to find out what they made of it. Today, I'm talking to Bob Fisher, who is safely tucked away inside. Well, where are you, Bob? Uh, I am in a small town called Yarm, which is where I live. It's in the northeast of England and I am in the spare room. And I've, I've barricaded the house, obviously, uh, in this lockdown situation. It's like Noah's castle around here. I've put barbed wire up <laughs> at the end of the garden. I love it. And a, and a great reference right off the bat. Now, Bob, <laughs> the link I sent you was for a programme called Second Side Up, which was transmitted on the 1st of April 2017 as part of Radio 3's Between the Ears strand. Second Side Up. Second Side Up. Second Side Up. Now, before you'd even listen hmm. to it, what was your reaction to my choice? Had you, had you actually heard this thing before or even heard of it before? I knew absolutely nothing about it. I will always be open and honest about these things, Jack. My first reaction when I saw that you sent me a radio programme was, oh, no, I wanted to talk about old telly. (laughs) But within seconds of realising the premise of this particular radio programme, I was absolutely hooked on it. And it's an incredibly... It's a very touching story, I think, isn't it? it? It is indeed, yeah. And so I did I did choose this with you in mind, so, so I'm glad that's worked. But this isn't a particularly well-known documentary, I don't think. So would you mind talking us through what actually happens in this? Absolutely. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want a house, you know, a mortgage and a car and everything like that. I wanted to become... A disc jockey. So, this is essentially the story of a chap called Mark Talbot. And from 1974 onwards, he made radio programmes on cassette. I got fascinated by being able to record sound, you know. His life's ambition was to become a professional radio presenter. It was just a passion. So He was utterly obsessed with radio. Uh, but from 1974, he started recording his own programmes which uh, very quickly became known as Second Side Up. The cassette radio show that is actually recorded on a cassette. Formula 90 means more music and... Um, and he would just he would just record these programmes at home and then he would send them out. I think his, his mum and somebody called Roy. Say hello. <laughs> to who? <laughs> My mum uh, and Roy. Hi, mum and Roy. I'm assuming, I don't know if Roy was his stepdad. I mean, he built up a little fan base. There's a, there's a point where he says he was sending out kind of like 40 different uh, people, um, dedicated programmes to them, programmes tailored specifically to them. So he had somebody called Dave and whoever. They wanted rock and then Sue, who liked dance and disco. Uh, So he would do that. Now, the, the genius of Mark Talbot for me is that he actually began to record his radio programs in the midst of real life happening to him. So he would have a portable recorder with him at all times. And the links on his programs, the links in between the tracks that he's playing, are him in the pub with his sister, I think, at one point, talking about their mum and the fact that uh, that mum never wanted a career or never had a career. But like mum, I mean, uh, no disrespect to mum, but she's satisfied with being in the same job for I don't know how many years. 
I couldn't do that. I just couldn't. Uh, there are bits in, uh, he's in, the, he's in the pub or he's on the way into the pub and after the pub with his girlfriend Cynthia and they're trying to do links together while they're getting into the car. A rainy road, listening to the DLT Nutty Show, one of the best disc jockeys that the Radio 1 have got so they better look after him. And he's, it's, it's, it's immaculately done but I have never heard um, a radio presenter attempt that level of um, intimacy and that level of, of kind of weaving your, your everyday life into your programmes. That, that was the extraordinary aspect of it for me. So Mark Tolbert had aspirations to be a professional radio broadcaster. Um, he says, I was absolutely fluent on the microphone. What do you say? I think he's a really good presenter. I really do. I think he's, you know, as, as a straight radio presenter, um, he's absolutely fine. And I can I can kind of maybe understand why that didn't work out for him because, you know, although he's good at it, you know, it doesn't distinguish him from lots of other people that have done similar kinds of programmes. The, the bit for me is when that real life comes in. It's just, it's, it's, it's genius beyond words and that elevates it to a different type of radio, I think. Yes, it does indeed. Uh, what I wanted to do is just talk a, a little bit about the shape and the sound mm. of this particular documentary. Uh, and, and as you talked about, there's lots of sequences where you hear him going about his everyday life and, and you pick up on lots of lovely little bits mm. of details, like getting a pasty for a quid. And we just had a delicious pasty and um, two halves of cider were a quid. And there's lots of clips of, with him and various girlfriends on days out and the music tracks are faded in and out. There's yeah. a particular montage sequence, I don't know if you remember this, which is cut to the Van Morrison song Bright Side of the Road yeah. where you hear him bickering and being charming within a few seconds. Yeah, but if you go railway, you come out the Grand Yeah, well, it was before you turned, was it? So this, was a, anyway. this was a documentary that you went into not knowing anything about it. What did you... What did you make of the shape and the production of the programme and, and how did that influence how much you enjoyed the whole thing? Oh, it got it over perfectly, I think. Um, I mean, to a point where I, I, I wasn't entirely sure whether I was listening to like actual extracts from the tapes that he'd made in the 1970s and 80s or kind of edited highlights with tracks that the Radio 3 team had, had weaved in and out of it. And in a sense, it didn't matter. When you listen to those, they sound like they're vinyl. I, I mean, I, I yeah. sort of think that they are him. And if not, then I think that they have gone to great lengths to recreate that. Oh, I thought that was weaved together really successfully. As I say, to the point where I was unsure when when the archive was kicking in and when we were hearing him um, talking in a, in, a, in, a, in a recent interview, in a contemporary interview. But that, I kind of liked that, you know, it gave it a consistency. The fact that he's out and about and then he cues in music, he mm. must have had some kind of mixing desk sort of set up then, presumably, do you think? What, what do you think? What do you think he might? I so don't know. You are, you, Jack, you, you, are, you are asking the least technical person you could possibly ask to try and get an answer here. If you had any idea how long I'd spent buggering about with a Skype connection today to try to get this podcast off the ground. I tell you what really, really impressed me was the way in which he had quite clearly meticulously planned the programmes that he was going to do, including the music, but then had those plans in mind while he was going about his everyday business. Because I tell you, the, the bit that I find really, really touching, this is the one that really, really melted my heart. And for me, this is the perfect example of incorporating 
real life into radio in the most affecting way. We met in a nightclub, had a dance, and that was how it took off. And I can't dance. So we mentioned his girlfriend, Cynthia. Um, and I'm, I think this is at some point in the 1980s. I think that's the suggestion. So uh, there is this this night out that him and Cynthia have, and they go to the pub and they have. I think I think if Mark has a has a pint and a half of old English cider. So I think they've spiced it up, <laughs> which goes straight to his head. But all the while, so as they walk into the pub, as they're sitting in the pub, we're in this little place with uh, nobody else basically except the barmaid. As they're walking past what sounds like a beautiful row of houses in a little Oxfordshire village on the way back from the pub. It is long, isn't it? <laughs> it goes on and on, you turn one corner, you get more rows of thatched cottages. It, it, it is just the sound of two young people who are absolutely in love, and he's getting her to introduce. <laughs> and if you can just introduce the next track for us, Cynthia, and it's 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 "Rock Me Gently" by Andy Kim, which she which she takes two attempts to get right. <laughs> right, who's next? Can you read that? Andy Kim. Yeah. Rock me quietly, quickly, gently. gently. <laughs> and in and in between, they're kissing. You can hear him kissing her to reassure her. And then they get in the car and, and oh, God, as they're sitting in the car, they, you know, they're kissing away in the car and you can hear it. I, I, honestly, this broke my heart that he's getting her to introduce the Carpenters, We've Only Just Begun. We've only just begun. And you think, oh, oh, it's just spine. I've got chills down my spine and a rosy glow in my heart just thinking about it now. I have never heard radio the like of, of, of that before. I, I just, I thought it was incredible. And yes, we've just If, if there is a if there's a storyline that runs through this, mm. then we arrive at his sliding doors moment, which is that Radio Oxford audition. Yeah. One day, one of my listeners, one of my fans, sent an edition of Second Side Up to BBC Radio Oxford. The tape landed on the desk of the station's programme controller, and I was invited in for an audition. This was my chance to be on radio. Uh, by his own admission, he's really, really nervous. We went into the studio, very dimly lit. Thought, this goes out to up to a million people. He completely screws it up. He makes an absolute mess of it. I'm assuming when he says he went in for an audition, he would have been asked to, to, to basically mock up a radio programme. Go and pretend that you're live on air for an hour. And go and do that. However, I don't think that is his forte. Now, if I'd have been... <laughs> the programme commissioner of BBC Radio Oxford, and I had received a demo tape from a man who is making really, really good, really likeable, really engaging radio programmes by recording links while he's going about his everyday life. I would just have thought, this bloke is a genius. 
this has never, but as far as I'm aware, you know, apologies if I'm wrong here, I've never heard it done before. An hour of, of great music, appropriate music that ties in with your everyday activities. Uh, that is a radio programme for me. That would, you know, that would have won Sony Awards as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that was frustra frustrating. That was frustrating for me that, uh, that nobody saw that. My frustration, I share that, that feeling, is um, enhanced by the interview that they've done with him yeah. where he talks back on that. And he's, and he's just erudite. He, he um, describes the dimming of the lights. Yeah. He says, I went in like a bag, bag of nerves and, and screwed, screwed it up. up. Pause. Regrettably. Pause. Yeah. Massive sigh. And I think that was that was one of the other things that I thought was really interesting about him is that we we both agree that actually on his second side up tapes, very charming, yeah, and and uh, and he's very interesting. But actually, he's brilliant in an in an interview situation as well, don't you think? Yeah, completely. Uh, you know, he's not he's not short of any of the skills that a traditional radio presenter would have. Absolutely not. He's kind of he's self aware as well, which isn't. Uh, which isn't which isn't a quality that people always associate with radio presenters, but he is absolutely aware of his of his failings. What about your first professional radio gig then? And I mean, was it? Did you do have to go through a process similar to his, or did it did it remind you of of your own route in into this business? Oh, I got. I'm kind of. I just feel a little bit guilty talking about my own background with radio because, unlike Mark. Unlike pretty much everybody that I ever come across in radio, I had no ambitions to work in the radio whatsoever. None at all. Radio was not a big part of my childhood. You know, I was I was, I was in front of the telly. So I kind of stumbled into radio. So uh, what happened was, uh, for my sins, which are clearly considerable, um, I was a Middlesbrough football club season ticket holder <laughs> for a long time. And I used to sit next to a guy at the match. He had the season ticket next to me called Mark Clement, um, who is now a familiar face on, on BBC One's Football Focus and Match of the Day 2 and Radio 5 Live. So I sat next to Clem, uh, as everybody calls him, um, for a few years. And it was Clem that wanted to be on the radio. So because I sat next to him at the match and because I guess he thought I was quite funny or just a <laughs> gobshite which uh, you know as you've probably probably ascertained i am um he asked me if i'd like to be involved so we put together basically uh, we did it in his front room it was in the summer of 1998 we put together a demo tape uh, that was called Red Balls on Fire, and it was nice name. Thank you. Um, it was it was all him. He was he was the brains. I just did the silly That's voices and wrote stupid jokes. Um, and I was his sidekick basically. It was a Middlesbrough Football Club radio fanzine program with sketches and interviews and things like that. It was only half an hour long. Uh, we sent it into what was then BBC Radio Cleveland. Radio Cleveland uh, now BBC Radio Tees, but that's our local radio station. And uh, the managing editor there at the time, who I have to give huge credit for, was a guy called David Peel, um, who just said, look, I really like this. Um, it's raw and it's bumpy, but I think we can do something. And we were on air within about six weeks. The award-winning Borough fanzine. Red balls on fire. Red balls on fire. Red balls on fire. Red balls on fire. This Friday at half past six, only on 95FM, BBC Radio Cleveland. It was a nice era. It was an era when you could kind of 
approach radio stations <laughs> with a really, really stupid idea um, and a crackly demo tape. I'm not sure how much of that route exists anymore, um, but it certainly existed in the late 1990s. Thank God. Now, ask the competition how many awards they got this year. So Mark Tolbert, um, I don't think it's ever made clear how often uh, he recorded episodes of Second Side Up. We do know that at its peak it had a listenership of about 40. So in a way, he's investing all this energy into shouting into the darkness. Can you understand that psychology, (laughs) Bob? Well, I, and that sounds like Jack, an offensive I, question. It's not meant to be. <laughs> I, I, I dare say, I dare say, I've broadcast professional radio programs to smaller audiences over the years. Um, yeah, I totally, absolutely understand it, and I guess. Um, I think it's, I, you know, I, I think this is just part of the psyche of some people, and I will probably include both of us in this category. There, there are some people who have an all-consuming, all-abiding passion, and will absolutely throw themselves into it, no matter, no matter what what repercussions it has in the rest of your life. And God knows, I, you know, I've fallen into that trap before as well. And, I, you know, why does everything have to be sort of expansionist? You know, why does everything have to, oh, you know, we got this many clicks this week. We got that many listens this week. You know, it doesn't matter. If you're doing something that is brilliant, that you think is brilliant, that other people think is brilliant um if it's connecting people connecting with people if it's changing their lives then that is a wonderful thing um and that makes it worth doing in its own right although for me if mark was making these radio programs by himself if nobody listened to them if he recorded them on a cassette by himself in his spare room and played them to nobody whatsoever I would still make an argument for that being a really, really worthwhile hobby. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's A, he loves doing it, and B, it's kind of a fascinating record of a, of a man's life as well. You know, it's his equivalent of keeping a diary, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you, actually, so th- would you like to be able to spool through your past in the way that he obviously yeah. now can? Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, I, I, I've done the odd little bit here and there. I... I I mean, certainly when I first got a cassette recorder, I did make little tapes of me at the age of eight, nine years old. They'll be in the loft somewhere. I, I think as a teenager, I did it a little bit as well. Not, you know, just literally vignettes. Here I am sitting in the front room with the dog. Are you going to bark for me, dog? Hello, dog. Uh, that kind of thing. And, and you know, it's, oh, God, the the people whose voices I wished I had on tape. My grandmother, who I loved, I adored my grandmother, um, died when I was 16 in 1989. I can't really remember what she talked like. Which is, you know, for someone that I spoke to, probably, not quite every day, but certainly every week, just going to stay with her on a weekend, meant the world to me. Can't, if I try to think of her voice at all, it just won't come. The thought of having no moving footage of these, uh, you know, people that have been very close to us. No recordings of their voices is just like, if you said that to somebody who was born after, what, about 1995? Just find it absolutely bizarre. But obviously we do, you know, I've got really, really close friends that I've lost. I've no record of them at all, apart from a handful of, of photographs that I treasure. But that's just, you know, 
that that way of life was gone. We didn't document things in the way that we do now, unless you were you were Mark Talbot, who was recording everything and everybody in his life. So that in itself makes it worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, and I have to say I'm fascinated by, I guess what I'd call analog people's analog home recordings so things oh, like God, there's yeah. a, a documentary film called catherine the freedman's there was a musical right. group um uh, about i don't know 10 15 years ago uh, called the trachtenberg family slideshow players who used to buy people's yes. slides and then turn turn them into songs mountain trip to japan going to see the mountains on a mountain trip he's a very fine And there's something about an yeah. old school home recording that makes me lean in. I, I, I sense you agree. I, no, I do. Absolutely. The, the medium and the format is important, I think, isn't it? It's funny. I was, I was talking with um, uh, Alice Lowe uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Turned, yeah. Um, sightseers and Prevenge. Great uh, uh, actress, film director. Because we were talking about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and saying it's really important that that was filmed on kind of wobbly film stock, grainy film stock. And it's got a kind of, you know, a degraded 1980s video look to it. And it, it just adds so much to it. So I think... Media and 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 the analog format is very very important in evoking a particular era. Um, Andrew Smith, Andrew T. Smith, um, who is a guy I work with a lot. Uh, we do a Last of the Summer Wine um, blog and stage show together. Um, Andrew is a big collector of um, Super Eight film, um, and and his kind of rather romantic theory, which I love, is that. Film, in particular, is a physical record of people. So, for example, like when you when you film somebody now, it's digital. It's just it's just zeros and ones, and it's the light converted into zeros and ones or whatever yes. in the way you know it hits the camera converted into that. With film, like their actual physical presence is making a physical impression on a physical thing <laughs> on a physical piece of film. He thinks it's a much, much more personal record of people that are no longer with us. And I absolutely agree with that. You see, the other like, really bittersweet romantic thing that gets to me about analogue recordings is that they degrade. And it's almost like the more that you listen to them, the more that you watch them, the more that you love them, the more that you destroy them, <laughs> which is, you know, you, you, you keep keep playing an MP3 as many times as you like. It doesn't sound any worse. If you've got a cassette recording of your grandmother in 1981, and God knows I wish I did, and you keep playing that hundreds, thousands of times, your grandmother is going to fade away <laughs> into the analog ether. There is something both heartbreaking and 
almost heartwarming about that in a way that I can't put my finger on. on the afternoon of this, the Thursday uh, 30th of uh, January. And a very busy programme for you. Uh, when I was shopping, doing my groceries a couple of days ago on Tuesday, I was just walking past the tills and somebody went, Hey, Mark, Mark. I went over and I knew this face and I thought, who is this young lad? Well, my last relationship was with Synth and her youngest son, who was 12, was Colin. And that was him. And he's like a foot taller in just these past three years. If there's I a tragedy him, in there, then, then it's that he just didn't have the focus. And, uh, you know, for, for either the to make the radio programmes a professional concern or indeed to kind of hang on to his girlfriends a little you know I really I was really saddened when I realised that him and Cynthia had split up and then he mentions that he bumped into Cynthia's son and she was getting married and then I think like in much later years in in 2011 um he has a he has a girlfriend called Myung um who's, a, who's a, appears to appears to be a Korean <laughs> nuclear scientist <laughs> yes <laughs> Okay. You are very, very attractive. Would you like to elaborate? Yeah. <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is quite something. Um, and that doesn't work out either. You know, she goes back to Korea and they fall out. And so I, I didn't get the impression of somebody that was using people in his life to make radio, but I maybe got the impression of somebody who was using radio to just make his life a little bit nicer <laughs> to be perfectly honest and there's nothing wrong with that yeah i think i mean and i think there's a particularly poignant bit where mark so as you say cynthia gets married mark's staring down at being 40 and he says i can't imagine someone of my character growing old gracefully um and then there's a poignant bit where he calls up his pal colin hello colin yeah can you hear me yeah I can you sound like you're in a toilet or something Mark. all i'm doing at the moment is holding the microphone up to the telephone. Telephone, oh, right, yeah. And I'm listening to you over headphones. Yeah. Complicated affair. So, uh, do you want to pop around this evening? Um, I'm going to Newbury tonight because I've got to go and do some work what? down there. Where's Jenny? Uh, Jenny's at home. Well, you could always drop her off here and pick her up when you've finished. <laughs> I'm serious. All oh, right, okay. Well, if <laughs> I you... thought you'd be able to see something, Mike. No, I'm not. If, okay. if you want to, uh, you know, give us yeah. some company. Yeah. Um, how Actually, about. Mate, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll see what she says when we get back. I mean, she might be coming with me. Um... If she wants to spend a couple of hours with me, I can stick okay. her back on the right bus. I mean, it's up to you, chaps. Oh, it's not a problem. I can always. Pick I wouldn't her mind the, the company. What did you What did you make yes. of that bit? Oh, it's really sad. Um, it does come over as as. I, I just I just really felt for him I did um, and uh, yeah I, I guess you know we've all been in those situations <laughs> it's like god I can't do I can't do another night in the house by myself I wish some friends would come over <laughs> and then so you, you know so you know lots of us have reached a point in our lives where it's like well all of my friends are actually attached now so the thought of them coming over on a Tuesday night at half an hour's notice is not really going to happen. So he has this relationship with Mayang. Established since 1974, this is the Cassette Radio Show, Second Sight Up, where format Formula 90 means much more music and entertainment. 
I have to sort of pause yeah. here for a second to say I love the fact that he's still trading on the USP of it being a C90. <laughs> it's five past nine, the evening of uh, Wednesday, the 7th of December, 2011. And uh, it's Mark and my own. Say hello. Hi. Omar. <laughs> Omar. But but yes, that relationship doesn't seem to last, uh, does it? And as we come to the end of the documentary, there, there's something he says to the interviewer that I thought was really poignant when um, it, it it appears that he's he's stopping doing this. The equipment's one thing, that's replaceable. The tapes aren't. And they were the last thing to go. So I stuck them all on Gumtree. He's put all his tapes on Gumtree. And then obviously I think there's a question asked to him about, um, are you saying goodbye? And he says, you don't, you don't say, say goodbye, goodbye to something that's within you. What did you make of how this documentary ends? I just, I just wanted to spend more time in his company, yeah, um, and to find out more about him. Which I guess is the hallmark of any good documentary. You know, you don't just leave it behind you and say, "Oh, that was nice. What's next?" Um, it really left an impression with me, and it really made um, me want to know more about. Mark and I mean I, I I kind of deliberately resisted googling him because <laughs> I wanted to see I wanted to see what you could tell me what you yeah. knew about him. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I thought it uh, obviously it's got a bittersweet ending. He's by himself again. Um, he's not making the tapes anymore and i guess a a, a little bit of me I got, I got so engaged in his story. Um, there's a bit of me that just wants somebody to say, oh, by the way, Mark's married now. He got back together with Cynthia. <laughs> she was divorced and they were 60 and they've made a thousand tapes over the last two years together and they're all here. That's yeah. what I want to hear. Yeah. So I, I did try and I did do a little bit of Google around and try and, and try and find out what he's doing. And to be honest, I really struggled. What I did find was that around about the time that... Radio Three put this out. He um, he uh, set up a, a Twitter account, uh, right. which consists of about three tweets. And he did that thing, okay. which um, which a lot of us do when we first get onto Twitter. Is we don't really understand what it is and how it works. So actually, yeah. and it's it's really tantalising because his tweets are to, I think, to the radio producer, a, a chap called David Walters, and he's saying and he's tweeting saying, "David, please contact me. I've got something really interesting to talk to you about." And that oh. is, and that seems to be the end of the story so far that I can see. So I wanted to ask you just uh, one more question about this program, which is how do you think that this program came about? Are you able to work that out? Because there is actually a clue in it. Oh, is there? Hmm. Um, no, is the, is the very honest answer to that. Um, how do, I'm assuming somebody tipped off a radio th oh, right i my my guess here i put, put my head on the block here my guess is that mark didn't initiate it himself because that seems out of character to me that is correct what happened was he put all his tapes up on gumtree which is what he mentions doesn't he in ah, the documentary yeah, yeah and and that caught the attention of this guy david walters who basically thought who is this guy right what are all these tapes and why are they on gumtree so it was that that then led to this documentary and i i can imagine oh. if you were david walters you must have just thought as soon as you started hearing them and then contact mark and have a chat you must have thought this yeah. is just going to be a gold mine don't you think that is an ex because that's just an extraordinary record of a man's life that i, I like if, if anybody else 
in the country has ever done that with such meticulousness, I would be staggered. That is that is thousands of hours worth of recordings of an ordinary guy's life. Um, and that, uh, you know, I would have those under lock and key. I'm genuinely shocked that he was just going to sell the whole lot for blank tapes. Yeah, sad, isn't it? It is, but I'm glad he didn't in the end. Yes. So, how did Second Side Up fit into your day? Did it cheer you up listening to it? Um, it did. I, I listened to it last night while I was out walking the dog on my regulation period of government-approved exercise. And I listened to it last thing at night. Um, it was about 11 o'clock, pounding the streets of Yarm last night. And it cheered me up, made me feel... Uh, it was very heartwarming, but bittersweet as well with a streak of melancholy and I, uh, to be honest with you that pretty much describes everything I've ever loved in my life Heart, heartwarming and funny with a bittersweet streak of melancholy running through it <laughs> And how are you finding life in lockdown, Bob? Well, do you know, I'm, if anything, I'm a little bit like Mark Talbot. I think I think I'm possibly over-identified with him. My life hasn't changed that much. I've been self-isolating for years. Um, I think. I mean, look, I've I I fully appreciate that a lot of people are really really struggling with this, and um, you know, and I I kind of feel for them. Um, I'm kind of built for solitude i think uh, the frustrating thing obviously i can't get you know my parents are knocking on now um it's been difficult obviously you know i've, I've, I've done their shopping um and i've dropped it round, but it's been difficult not having the contact with them that i would normally have um and i am living in the house with a very excitable border collie i think she is suffering from lockdown more than i am because border collies are you know they are they are, they are excitable creatures by nature and they need good long walks on a daily basis so um she she is possibly looking forward to this ending more than I am bless her well listen thank you Bob for listening to Between the Years Second Side Up and thank you for talking to me about it pleasure now stay indoors stay indoors